What's happening, Tony? How are you? I'm pretty good. It's a great time of the year and a uh, little, little vacay before the start of the long haul. And I um, you know, need the time off and I'll be refreshed and ready to go at the end of July. So what do you do at the end of July um, when you're covering, what is that, training camp? Right, right. They, they come back uh, July 27th. Are you at the are you at the training camp every day then? Yeah, yeah, that that we're we're, we're pretty much back to normal, you know, after 2 years of covid protocols. But training camp you was always you're never allowed in locker rooms in training camp. You interview players and, and coaches on the field. So that'll stay the same, but uh in the meantime we've we've gotten back into the Browns building with all the without all the protocols and testing. And once the season begins, locker rooms will be back open for the first time in two years. So it, it seems like we're over that two-year uh, hiatus. What was that like for you? You and I haven't spoke. For, uh, I was looking the other day. Last time you were on the podcast was August of 2018, believe it or wow. not. So <laughs> we're coming up on four years, Tony. Obviously, the world was much different last time you and I got together. Um, what was that like? What, what was the whole experience like for you as a reporter during COVID? Well, you felt uh, detached from the team because you couldn't cultivate any relationship uh, through the locker room interaction. Um, for the first year, uh, we did not travel and we covered games off of TV, which was kind of easy, but it lacked, you know, what I'm used to and the depth wasn't there. Um, Last year, we started traveling again, but locker rooms remain closed. So all interviews are like in a Zoom conference. And, you, you know, you're fighting, not fighting, but competing with, you know, a dozen other reporters to get your question in. And you just you just don't get to be in depth with anyone and follow up questions, which are usually the most revealing answers. Uh, you couldn't follow up, so uh, it was it was different. Um, uh, but I'm glad it's getting back to normal. Absolutely, yeah. The the lack of authenticity you can't develop those connections, those real authentic in person relationships. Seeing how a guy reacts, he, he may answer your question. I assume even differently when he's in the confines of his own little room versus having to stare you guys face to face that had to make a difference that had to be super frustrating for you uh it was but you know it was a level playing field no nobody had any advantage right uh, but you, you weren't able to uh, go off the record with people and, and get insights that they wouldn't you know w- want to say on the record so i think i think ultimately the consumers suffer fans to the, for the sure of, of our website of my radio and I think everyone suffered, to be honest with you. I think the players suffered too because the players weren't getting their brand built as much as they would have in a normal setting. No doubt. And, and, you know, the, the team, the Browns weren't unique, but in this, but the team was kind of disconnected also because of their own COVID protocols, you know, offense was in one locker room defense was in another for a portion of two year stretch. And a lot of players complained about that at the end of last year, and the result of that has been this, this series of team-building exercises that the coaches have put them through uh, in this offseason. So, now they weren't the only one, and some teams overcame that. Obviously, there were a couple Super Bowl champions declared in the last two years, but 
Uh, I think the, the Browns team concept suffered. Yes, that makes sense. So I'm going back to the training camp thing, and I'm just thinking about this. As, as a businessman and somebody that's been involved in business, we have process, we have procedure. That's something that's real important for any business, small or large, to be successful. You got to have process and procedure. And I think about your situation and your career, your position. When you go out to a training camp, I assume after all these years, you've probably developed your own individual potentially process and procedure. So for like some young guy that's coming up, a new reporter that has access to the Browns training camp, how in the world does he know what to do? I mean, I, you're kind of just floating around looking versus someone like you who probably has got kind of a more meticulous uh, approach. So do you have a process, what you're looking for at training camp, and how do you go about it? Yeah. Um, you know, part of the thing that, again, levels the field is that everything is structured. So you have, even during training camp in a non-protocol situation, you have limited resources to create and extend relationships. You, you can request one-on-ones with players uh, and you do get them, but it's different than just, you know, sauntering up to a locker and, and say, Hey, how's it going? And just that casual, you don't have time to have a casual conversation. When you request the player, you got to bang, 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 hit them with questions. So, so that's lost uh, at least in training camp. But, you know, I go to, camp pretty much every day with an idea of what I want to write um, or I want to look for, you know, mm. uh, maybe I want to write about a particular receiver who's been catching everything. So I'll spend time watching him. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, if I have a request in for an interview one-on-one -on -one with him, uh, that, that'll supply my main story that day. Sometimes I go to camp, I have no idea, you know, what I'm going to write. And it's, and it's based on uh, the interviews. You know, someone drops a news, little news bit or something that I find interesting, and that becomes a story. So, um, you know, I, I, I think over time, you know that anything can happen to change your plans. An injury can change everything. That becomes the news of the day. But you always have to have a backup plan of what you want to write. Or, or even talk about, in my case, on, on, on my, you know, my hits on the air of what I went in looking for. Because it's like a five-ring circus out there, Nate. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, you know, you could be watching the running, you know, you're, you're working on a story on the rookie running back, uh, Jerome Ford. And so you want to spend time watching him. And then something can happen at the quarterbacks working out where there's an injury. I remember two years ago when Grant Delpit was a rookie. I happened to be watching the DB uh, uh, position drills. And I was the only one of the media. Everyone's spread out watching their own thing. And I saw him pull up with that Achilles tendon injury. And I was able to tweet it out immediately. You know, everything now is a tweet. <laughs> you know, and, and, and hey, Tony, let's not forget who introduced you to Twitter many years back. Yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, um, yeah, I just happened to be there. And there could be something going on with the quarterbacks where Deshaun Watson or Jacoby Brissett will twist their ankle. And if you don't see it, you're catching up the rest of the day to that. Mm. So uh, it's like a five ring circus. You know? And you never know what to expect. That's interesting, though. You go in with a game plan, though. It sounds like almost every day 
at least something is that you want to look at that you want to capture that you want to focus on you know you're going to most likely have to pivot because i'm sure it hardly ever goes as planned sometimes it does but but you got to be able to change and adjust and and, and if you spend time with somebody on a, see i don't like writing feature stories but that's what camp mostly is mm. you know there, there's no games to base anything on uh not every practice is is you know packed with collisions they're boring walkthroughs so you're writing a lot of soft stuff in in, in training camp mm-hmm. and, and i've just had it with that i think those are you know they're fine and you got to do them and you get to know players more by you know delving into their past and all that sure. but i'm more news oriented and and if there's not any news out there well i always go for the news yeah and in, and unfortunately in training camp the news is always bad. It's it's a holdout. Well, we don't get those anymore, but tra- uh, injuries or a position change, a noted position change, you know, where you see all of a sudden like Jerome Ford taking over as the as the uh, third down back, you know, stuff like that. To me, that's what readers or my users want to know about. Sure. So you talk about news, and obviously there's only one news story that really surrounds the team these days, and it's the Sean Watson, and it's the 24 lawsuits. 20, I think, have been settled, at least from what I saw the other day. Uh, how do you get a, How do you not focus on anything else? When you guys are there at, at these mini camps and then at training camp, mm-hmm. I mean, I assume that that's all it is, is people want to know about the Sean Watson. But- well, you have Watson fatigue also, and you get, you have to ask the questions for the one day the coach will respond and answer it, and he's very good at avoiding that. But once those, you know, unless there's there's news happening, um, uh, you have to go on because I think everyone gets fatigued by reliving the details of his case, and unless there's a new development. Uh, it's easy for me to move on because I am fatigued by the whole subject. I I want it to be over as soon as possible. Um, And and of course, as soon as I went on my first week of vacation, it broke that 20 of those cases were settled. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's going to be probably two other news developments before training camp concerning Watson. That's going to be what the league decides and and whether he uh, is successful in uh, settling the final four of, of, of cases. Now you've never been shy about making predictions. So where do you see this thing going with Watson in terms of NFL punishment? I think from what I can understand, uh, they're all working together to, to reach a global settlement. Uh, the union, uh, his attorney, his agent, uh, and the league. Uh, I think even the, the, the union realizes and acknowledges there's going to be a suspension. Um, I think Watson is cooperating to do whatever the league wants him to do to keep that as low as possible. And I think that there's going to be a suspension contingent on certain conditions. And they may involve, A, settling the remaining four cases before you're reinstated, and be receiving counseling before you're uh, reinstated. And if, if I think there are going to be conditions like that. And if Watson agrees to them, the suspension will not be a year long, as, as the most dire reports have indicated. 
What do you think? Four games, six games, eight games? I, I, I think eight games. I, originally, I didn't think that. Interesting. But, but if he – I think things got worse, which is why he and his uh, attorney agreed to consider settling. And I think the league was involved in that and persuading him, hey, this is going to be in your best interest. I don't think the league wants this to go on. They don't want the details of those civil suits to go into court and extend this whole ugly situation into 2023 and beyond. So I think that's part of the, quote, global settlement. Get them back on the field. Show some remorse. uh, uh, Get counseling if they want him to. And uh, try to be a better person going forward. What was your reaction when the Browns made him the the wealthiest player in, I think, NFL history? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. Forty million a year, give or take. When, when we when you saw that, especially with all these allegations and these uncertainties hanging over his head, what was your initial reaction to this move? I was really disappointed. You know, 24 hours earlier, Watson told the Browns, "No, they were the first of the four teams where he said, nah, I'm not going to waive my no trade for you.'" And I remember our station asked me what was my reaction to that. And I said, relief, because I didn't think they should have been involved in this at all. Um, and then when they, you know, the owner wrote the check and gave the green light to just overwhelm them with a fully guaranteed five years, 230 million, uh, I wasn't good. And then the terms of the trade, everything seemed to be against with Andrew Barry, the GM, and the coach, Kevin Stefanski, and, and for that matter, the chief strategy officer, Paul De Podesta, everything seemed to be against what they stand for. So I can only conclude that it was the owner saying, we're doing this, get it done. And that's how I felt. And I, and I think that was not the right way to acquire your quarterback. So you believe that the actual front office, the people that Haslam's put in place, from the general manager to the head coach to – several other executives you believe that the sentiment was we really don't want this guy we don't want the headache they wanted to continue moving forward with baker no i think there was a plan in between watson and baker that you know they needed to better the quarterback situation i think i'm totally in agreement of that but i didn't think they would i don't want to say sell their souls because i i won't go that strong but to but to change their beliefs to acquire this player with all the baggage and with the cost is just enormous. So I, I do think that it was uh, the owner driving this whole thing. And I, and I tell you what, there, nobody will agree to that. No one will say that. In fact, I asked Haslam that directly and he said, oh no, this started in football operations. But if you were at that press conference where they introduced Watson, Andrew Barry's on his right and Kevin Stefanski's on the left. It was the most uncomfortable press conference I've ever been at. <laughs> and they just didn't seem, you know, here, here they had just acquired as a player, the, the quarterback they've never had. This was, this was catching the white whale. And there was absolutely no joy in, in, in finally getting your guy. And I think they were as confused about it as the, their fan base. Like, and the reporters are peppering it. them with questions, right? Do you believe this guy? Is he telling the truth? Right. And he's sitting right there. Yeah. How uncomfortable, you know, Watson for the fourth time says, I did not do what they, you know, alleged me to do. 
And the next question was, do you believe him? And Andrew, <laughs> and Andrew you know, what's he going to say? Well, no. But he, he did say, I believe in the person. So he answered. He, he couldn't, you know, he, he was uncomfortable because if he believed Watson, he's disbelieved he's calling the accusers liars. And he knows that that would have created a firestorm. So it's just awkward and uncomfortable. I think Watson's clearly an upgrade from Baker Mayfield. But is Watson as good as we were making him out to be on top of that? I mean, I know he was great in college. He's, he did okay in Houston. I didn't see – he wasn't taking them to the Super Bowl or anything. Is he that good? Well, um, the, 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 he's played the Browns three times, and two of the times he's been sensational uh, when the Texans team was intact. Those both games, I think, were in Houston that he, he played the Browns. He ripped them up three touchdowns every time. He looked great. Then he came to town in that bad weather game, and he struggled mightily. He, he was able to score one touchdown late in the game. It was like a 13-7 Browns win. That was the game Chubb ran out of bounds at the one to, mm. to not, you know, to, to, to not pour salt in the wound. Yeah. Yeah. So, he, you know, that stuck in my mind because I think – but his team was depleted by that, you know. Now, flash forward, and I see him standing in the pocket at minicamp, and I'm telling you, there's a world of difference with him back there. I mean, his stature, his arm, his mobility, his athleticism. As a player, I see why they would – I probably would have done everything they did if he didn't have this baggage. Okay. I do think he's capable of being the guy. But and, when and you're I saying have, you've been watching Baker for a few years and mm-hmm. now you're watching Deshaun and doing the exact same thing Baker was in these camps and you're saying it's a world of difference. Absolutely. Anybody who goes to training camp first day, they will see the difference right off the bat. I mean, he just, the wit, his mechanics, you know, Baker's mechanics were all over the place and, and they got him in trouble and it took him a lot of effort to throw the ball because he, he, he could spin the ball, but it took him, you know, torquing that hip and that motion and all that. This guy just flicks his wrist and the ball's out there. And, and you know, I've been a big proponent. You need a bigger guy back there. Uh, you need a guy with athleticism. And they ultimately agreed because they end up getting three quarterbacks pretty much all the same, bigger, stronger, more mobile than what they had. And that's the difference I'm talking about. We haven't seen him, you know, in that two-minute drill against Pittsburgh, but I'm pretty confident that if he's able to play, you're going to see a world of difference in those close games. Well, you haven't been the biggest fan of Baker, I don't believe, since uh, even before he was drafted here. You might have thought he was decent in college, but I remember in going back and looking at some of your stuff before our chat today, um, he wasn't in your top three in in his draft class for quarterbacks. and the Browns, of course, had the first pick and took him. So, what, what uh, was that? The like the beginning where you and you and him just didn't really mesh well. Did he already come in with a chip on his shoulder? Talk a little bit about your relationship with him and how it's evolved. Yeah, I was pretty outspoken in what I wrote and said prior to the draft. Uh, I didn't like his lack of athleticism, his physical qualities. I thought it was a great, terrific college player, but I think in this division that the Browns compete in. Um, I wanted a, a, you know, a stronger guy, stronger arm. You know, Josh Allen, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, 
concern about his accuracy and he's dispelled all that, but more physical characteristics. And I also was against, you know, I compared uh, Baker to Manziel a, a couple times. We all know Manziel had a significant addiction problem. Okay, that's not what I was comparing him to, but he had personality and quirkiness that, you know, I didn't think was what you wanted your quarterback to have. And I thought Baker had similar attributes, you know, the things that he went through in college. I thought there was some baggage there, not like Manziel, but similar. So uh, little did I know that Baker would take down everything and keep things in his phone. And, you know, so, yeah, he came in with a chip and, you know, rightly or wrongly, he, he knew I was pretty outspoken against them uh, coming into the team. And I thought I was shocked that, that uh, John Dorsey picked them because I, I talked to at least six people in the league who were convinced that Josh Allen was the type of quarterback that Dorsey wanted. And for some reason, he got persuaded to go against his, you know, list of things and took Baker. So that's how else was started. in that. Sam, Sam Darnold was there. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Sam Darnold. Lamar Jackson was never considered. I mean, he, he ended up going 31 to Baltimore. They, they actually had a pick before that, which they took a, a linebacker or something. So there were, there were questions about, Jackson, but I thought it come down to Darnold, Allen, and then Baker because the, these these reports came out at the last week of the draft, and I said, "You got to be kidding me! That is this going to become a reality? Number one pick in the draft? You know, they they waited. They went one th- one and thirty one. They traded two high picks. They passed over Mahomes, Watson, uh, and uh, uh, Goff, uh, not Goff, but the, the the second guy who came after him." Uh, uh, when they had the second pick in the draft and, and uh, traded that uh, the year before. And all of that investment was to get to pick this quarterback who was barely six feet tall and, you know, was not outstanding athletically. So I, I couldn't believe it was going to happen. And then when it happened, I was really disappointed. So you obviously have never been a huge proponent of Baker Mayfield and uh, you're, you know, looking at the, the seasons, it's hard to, it's hard to go against you based upon the erratic performances and the inconsistencies and all those kind of things. Um, but what did Baker do? If anything, in your opinion, did he do anything that was positive? Did he change the culture in Cleveland? Did he come in and, and give this team a, a reboot and some energy and some, some new, newness that they were lacking for a while? No doubt about it. I, I thought he overachieved. I don't think he should have been the number one pick in the draft, but he overachieved in his time, you know, starting with the, the, the win and relief, you know, that Thursday night game against the Jets, where his legend was created, uh, breaking the, what, 19-game winless streak and, and with a really great, exciting performance. And then, um, uh, you know, he, he had to suffer through typical Browns dysfunction with coaching changes and system changes and quarterback coaching changes and coordinator changes. And he played through that and he worked through it. And then he, you know, once Kevin Stefanski and his group came in, uh, they put together that tremendous year and, and, and Baker plotted through the first eight games of that season because uh, Stefanski really was trying to reinvent him from that guns, you know, that shotgun gunslinger 
into a more of a game manager. And uh, it took Baker a while, but then in the second half of the season, he, he did well. And he'll always be remembered in my mind as the guy who finally won in Heinz Field, yeah. who finally yeah. won a playoff game on the road. Uh, so I don't take any of that away from him. He, again, I think he overachieved. But his last year here was was really bad, and there were and and uh, I, I do think there were some problems in the locker room that his performance created and made it uh, tougher for him to lead. Is there a chance that if uh, Watson is suspended, we see Baker Mayfield playing for the Browns in twenty twenty two? I don't think there's a chance of that happening. I know it makes sense on paper. You're paying this guy. You know, it's for it's in the best interest of both to patch their differences uh, and and let him play the last year of his contract and to try to regain his market as a free agent and all that. But I just think the Browns have turned the page mentally on him, and and, and they're planning certain things in the offense that Baker can't do. Mm. And 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 besides that, even though they they swept out that locker room of Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and Austin Hooper, I think there's just the, you know there's still a lot of defensive players who lost faith and confidence in Baker Mayfield, and I think the Browns became aware of that they sh- they should have seen it happening as a you know they they know the team better than me, and I could tell you know there was a loss of confidence in Baker because of his performance. And then the injury and the way he kept talking about his injuries and, and saying, I'm going to decide whether I play or not. I mean, that stuff wore thin on that, on that team. And, mm. you know, a safety at home with COVID watching the Green Bay game, tweeting in all caps, run the damn ball. And this is in the first half of the game. I mean, that was John Johnson. I, I thought he spoke for a lot of guys in the locker room when he did that. Right. They were tired of seeing their quarterback lose games for them. What was and, your take? I'm, real, I'm sorry, Tony. What was your take on the, uh, the the lack of chemistry between him and OBJ? What was that? You know what, uh, Nate? Uh, it's really hard to explain uh, because on Labor Day last year, you know, the union gave these guys a free weekend uh, as part of their CBA talks. And Baker... OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and Hooper went to Big Sky, Montana, or somewhere in Montana at some resort and, and had a weekend. And everything was hunky-dory. And then as soon as, as uh, OBJ came back, which wasn't until game three, recovering from uh, his offseason ACL, you know, the chemistry still wasn't right. And we thought you know, after that long layoff where he got hurt in the middle of the previous year and then, you know, they, they vacationed together and they seemed everything was going right. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And I'll tell you, there are two games, the Minnesota game and the, and the Chargers game, which were really highlighted in that infamous uh, video that his Odell's father retweeted. There were so many missed throws to, to OBJ. Uh, uh, either m- didn't see him wide open or couldn't connect with them. And that just got worse and worse and worse. I don't know. I, the chemistry was never right from the start. Mm. And, and it, it really changed everything. I believe that that chemistry problem with Odell uh, uh, hurt Baker more than his injury. 
it, 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 it messed them up above the shoulders and uh, the shoulder injury he could play through because it was his left shoulder. I think the demise of, of, of Baker is more rooted in the OBJ problem because that, then that trickled over to Jarvis Landry and some of the other receivers and, and he lost hold of the locker room. Right. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really insightful take. And I and probably you, couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, that, 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 just let me interject. National insiders who keep reporting that why not have Baker come back don't account for what happened. You know, they weren't there every day or, or they weren't following the team every day. And, and that's a big problem when your star receivers lose touch with the quarterback. Mm. There can't be much worse for a quarterback when it comes to relationships if your receivers lose confidence in you. Exactly. Um, last question on Baker. Uh, can he win a Super Bowl as a starting quarterback in the league? Um, I, I don't think he could here. Uh, he'd have to be with a super team around. Now, this team's pretty good, uh, the Browns, on paper. I go back, Tony, to like uh, the Baltimore Ravens. Like, like if he was with a stellar defensive team, like the Ravens were when Trent Dilfer won the Super yeah. Bowl, right? Like, can can he pull even pull something like that off? The reason I say no is, I think he wants to be the star on offense, and and he he's uncomfortable being that manager. But I don't think he's good enough to be the the, the trigger man. You know. I mean, his record in bringing a team back is very not very good. You know, fourth quarter, clutch situations, needs the pass. Uh, he has his moments, but I just don't think he's good enough to, to be a Super Bowl quarterback. I hope I'm wrong because I don't, you know, I'd like this. I'd love to see him get traded to Carolina and the Browns open the season at Carolina against Baker Mayfield. To me, that's, that's wow. so, yeah. that's, a, that's a reporter's <laughs> dream, you know, to, to the storylines there. So I'm hoping he'll 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 continue, and whether he has to latch on as a backup quarterback for one year, like so many other guys, I don't know if he's capable of accepting that or not. But uh, he's going to have to mature for sure. Okay. Hey, before we finish it up, uh, looking ahead to the the upcoming season, uh, what do you see from this team? How do you think it's going to ultimately go for them in terms of wins, losses, and, and what players uh, have you been impressed with so far? The Mari Cooper, any of the new guys? Give us a little insight on that. Yeah, I think Cooper is great from what I've seen. He's, he's just an all-business worker. He talked about how much he loves practice, and and his his record is that he plays just about every game. You know, Landry was like that before he he fell upon some hard times the last two years, but I, I like Cooper. Um, I, I, I like, uh, I like the improvement in uh, JOK. You can't tell much in, you know, mini camps, they don't tackle, but I think he's going to be a, a foundation player. I think Grant Delpit is poised to be an impact safety. Um, I think defensively, they're going to be strong. I was always a fan of their coordinator, Joe, Joe Woods, even though he went through some hard times early last year. I think the way that defense finished, they're good enough. They're top 10 defense. Clowney was an absolute must to bring back, and they got that done. Their cornerbacks are as deep as any teams in the league. So they're, they're, they're strong in all the right spots. 
I love the draft of the kicker. I think he's going to be kind of like Evan McPherson's impact to Cincinnati last year. And they play so many close games. That was such a weakness for so many years. Uh, offensively, everything hinges on Watson uh, playing at least eight games. But they, they are strong in every position, too. Wow. The receiver after Cooper, the, okay, there's, there's uncertainty there. But they've got three kids that they've drafted over the last three years, and they, they got to play them. I mean, you, you have to play them to, to develop them. And Can DPJ I mean, be like a two, two slash three? I, at times, I think that for sure. Uh, yeah. I think things are going to change with Watson distributing the ball, you know, and being able to see guys downfield and, and on time. He's so much more accurate than Baker has been the last three years. So I, I would think deep, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones would be the first guy to step up. Then they got this kid from Purdue, this rookie, uh, who, who they're uh, uh, go, going to make a, a – Slot receiver, we're going to see more three receivers and less three tight ends. That's a step <laughs> forward, I think. Yeah. And their yeah. line is strong and deep. The running backs are fabulous. Yeah, really I got to tell you, Tony, when you talk about it, like when you break it down like that, you're right. We, It's amazing how really talented and stacked this team is, but yet how nobody's – I think there was so much hype probably going into last season. Mm-hmm. And there was – and obviously just completely underwhelming the team, the city, the fans – that we know that we have a really good team, but we're not so sure. We're not, we don't know about Deshaun yeah. and everything's kind of just at a standstill in terms of enthusiasm. Yeah. Because of the, the, the Watson thing, you, know, you can't embrace that transaction until you know if, if he's going to play or not. And then there are still, I hear a lot of people who will never embrace that transaction mm-hmm. because of the allegation. So then, you know, what do you think of Jacoby Brissett? He, he becomes a, such an extremely important player. Uh, as, the, as the emergency quarterback, and, and he's got a history of injury wherever he's been. So I really think if, depending on the length of the suspension, there's a chance they will add another quarterback, a backup who's better than Josh Dobbs, who's the number three guy right now. Because to think that Brissett can w- win uh, enough games is one thing. To think he could stay healthy is another over eight games or 10 games. Now he's done it two, two years with Indianapolis, but other times he's gotten hurt. So the, that clouds everything, you know, yes. I mean, if, if they haven't gotten that position right yet, after making three major transactions and we're, we're still here and going into July and not knowing, not feeling comfortable at that position, that, that's a big if, but, but if Watson is able to play the last eight games, I, I think they're right in it with Cincinnati in Baltimore and they have to win their division. I always say, you know, they haven't done that since they've been an expansion team and they made the playoffs and made, you know, beat Pittsburgh as a wild card team, but they have to host a playoff game. And, and that's, that's a shocking stat. They haven't won the division in over 20 some years. Wow. Right. right. They have to, they have to win. They have, I'd rather see them go four and two in the division than 11 and seven as a wild card. You know, if they win 10 games and win the division, that's a super successful year. Yes. More so than winning 11 or 12 games and being a wild card. And Will, will and they make the playoffs this year? We know we don't know about Watson, but assume let's say he's a suspended half the season. Will they make the playoffs? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say yes, because I don't want to go into this season <laughs> hoping my prediction's right and then right. missing. But no, I, th- I think they, 
it's it's a huge challenge for the coach. He's got to learn to to sell out to win every game. If he's got to hand the ball forty times, do it. If he's got to kick five field goals, he's got to be able to do it. If he's got to punt and play that kind of game, yes, do it. He hasn't been able to do that in two years, Stefanski. But I think he learned a lot last year. If Brissett's in there, he has got to manage him a lot better than he managed Baker Mayfield. You got to take your points when you yeah. can get them, which they failed to do at times last year. And win ugly and and just just win. Yeah. And not worry about your offense putting up numbers. Now, when Watson's in there, that's different. He's going to be winging it. He's going to be running. And it's going to be fun to watch. But, again, we don't know when he'll be doing that. Tony Grossi, everybody. Hey, man, this is awesome reconnecting with you. Hopefully you enjoy your vacation. Uh, find him on Twitter at, at Tony Grossi. We'll link that in the show notes. Anywhere else, Tony, online that you want people to uh, come find you? Well, uh, you know, my all my writing now is behind a paywall on a website, thelandondemand.com. Uh, it's run through our, our station, 850WKNR. Uh, and so uh, occasionally uh, we unlock it to put a particular story free to try to entice subscribers. But uh, I would encourage anyone to sign up for the app. It's a tremendous app. And that's that's where all my writing is. Beautiful. Hey, uh, Tony, good seeing you as always. Thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thanks for having me.